Well, as much as I already miss gathering together in person, um, I found these words from a sermon by Francis James Grimke in encouragement. Something that has impressed me in connection with this epidemic is the fact that conditions may arise in a community which justify the extraordinary exercise of powers that would not be tolerated under ordinary circumstances. This extraordinary exercise of power has resorted to by the commissioners is closing up theaters, schools, churches, and forbidding all gatherings of any considerable number of people, indoors and outdoors, even restricting the number who should be present at funerals. The ground of the exercise of this extraordinary power was found in the imperative duty of the officials to safeguard as far as possible the health of the community by preventing the spread of the disease from which we are suffering. There has been considerable grumbling, I know, on the part of some, particularly in the regard to the closing of churches. It seems to me, however, in a matter like this, it is always wise to submit to such restrictions for the time being, If, as a matter of fact, it was dangerous to meet in the theaters and schools, it certainly was no less dangerous to meet in churches. The fact that the churches were places of religious gathering and the others not would not affect in the least the health question involved. If avoiding crowds lessens the danger of the infected, it it would be wise to take the precaution and not needlessly run in danger and expect God to protect us. So... Anxious as I have been to resume work, I have waited patiently until the order was lifted. I started to worry at first as it seemed to upset all of our plans for work, but I soon recovered my composure. I said to myself, why worry? God knows what he's doing. His work is not going to suffer. It will rather be a help to, a help to it in the end. Out of it, I believe great good is coming. All the churches as well as the community at large are going to be the stronger and better for this season of distress through which we have been passing. Francis spoke these words at 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, November 3rd, 1918, over 100 years ago. In regards to the Spanish flu, which spread like wildfire around the world, infecting 500 million people and killing up to 50 million For now, in in light of the precautions that have been placed upon us and the restrictions, it is good that we are gathering separately from each other. It's hard to do this, but my hope is that you've engaged this service like you would on any normal Sunday, as best as you possibly can. We find ourselves in this very strange season as a community, but we also find ourselves in the season of Lent. And it is not lost on me that the season of Lent in many ways has been foisted upon all of us, religious or not. We find ourselves in a season where grocery store stock is thin, where our interactions with other people are lessened significantly, where we don't go to physical locations for work or for school. A lot has changed, and in many ways, our lives are very Lenten. And yet we believe as a church community that in the season of Lent, we also take up. We don't just give things up, we also take things up. It's a time for us to take up new practices and new rhythms to, as Henry Nouwen puts it, experience the surprising things that God has for us. And so my hope is that you will not stop taking up good things in this season. These things might be digital in nature. You might be doing more podcasting. You might be participating in our digital liturgies on our Facebook and our Instagram account. You might be going to church online, for instance. But my hope is that you won't stop taking up good practices that create space for you to hear from God. 
One of the things our church has taken up together is a practice of meditating together on a passage of scripture and having some questions that we can consider. You can consider the questions at the end of this text by yourself or with someone in the Zoom room that you're with or somebody that you're sitting next to physically if you have the privilege of doing that at the moment. I'm gonna read through this text, ask these questions and give you just a minute to meditate on them. It goes like this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel lost. We feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud, a proud owner of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you've ever, you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution, the persecution. The persecution drives you deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is the truth is too close for comfort and they are not comfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give cheer even for though they don't like it, I do and all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're gonna focus tonight on the fourth beatitude. Here's a different translation for you to consider. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Here are a couple questions for you to consider or talk amongst yourselves about. What is something that you are craving right now? What is something that you can't have at the moment that you desperately want? Tonight, I'm gonna share a few reflections on what it means to crave something, what righteousness is and what it means to hunger and to thirst for it. Jesus's imagery in this beatitude is relatable because we all know what it means to be hungry for food or to be thirsty for something. We experience it every day on a small scale, right? We feel hungry for a snack or for a meal. We might feel thirst, but some of you have experienced hunger and thirst to a larger degree. Some of you have not always known where your next meal is gonna come from. Some of you have experienced the symptoms of a major dehydration at our altitude. Hunger and thirst, when I hear these words call to mind, for me, interactions that I have almost daily with our homeless neighbors and parishioners, some of whom might be watching this right now. Although these neighbors are oftentimes uh, kind and friendly and gracious, sometimes their circumstances get the better of them. When we go without our basic needs, shelter, food, water, these kinds of things, our brain chemistry literally changes. When you're hungry, your body and therefore your brain is starved of glucose, which has a dramatic effect on how you regulate your hormones. In addition, eating a satisfying meal lights up the mesolimbic center of your brain and releases dopamine to bind to receptors in your brain. Your brain remembers that feeling because you experienced it so much throughout your life. And so when you don't get it, you react to it. Your brain gets tunnel vision. It becomes myopic. Everything else kind of blurs to the sidelines. And all of a sudden, all you can think about is this one thing. 
And when what you need to satisfy that desire is readily available, um, it's not that big of a deal. And we don't get so off kilter. But when the things that we need to satisfy our cravings and our desires are not readily available, we begin to be obsessed and even addicted to those things. Some of you might be experiencing this as you fast throughout Lent. Some of us are doing that. You may have given up cigarettes or coffee or alcohol or sugar, and your brain is craving those things. And that changes the way that you behave. The imagery that Jesus gives us in this beatitude is one of scarcity. When he talks about hungering and thirsting, we don't get an image of the basic rhythms of hunger and thirst that we experience on a regular basis every day. We get the idea of fasting and famine. We get the idea of somebody not being able to meet those basic needs for a long period of time. In this case, we get the sense that those who are listening to this fourth beatitude are those who are desperate for righteousness, not just mildly desiring it. So what is righteousness, and and why is it that we are to crave it or we are blessed if we do? Well, righteousness and rightness are not the same thing. That's an important thing to point out, I think, right off the bat. We love to and long to be right. That's something that's very popular in a society. It's something that certain personality types gravitate to even more uh, than others. It's a valued virtue in our society to be right. But being right and being righteous are far from the same. Being righteous is, about, is not about being right. It's about being upright. It's about knowing what the next right thing is. It's about pursuing the right thing that's right in front of you if you're willing to see it and you're willing to pursue it. There's something else that you should know about righteousness. Throughout the Bible, righteousness and justice are closely related. In fact, they are at times synonymous. Dr. King famously quoted the book of Amos when he said, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. In the New Testament, the word for righteousness is the Greek word dikaiosune. It appears over 300 times in the New Testament alone. It is oftentimes, if not always, almost always translated as righteousness and very rarely justice, even though it's the same Greek word. And my curiosity is, why is that? Why in Plato's Republic, written 300 years prior, also in Greek, is the word dikaiosune always translated justice, and in our New Testament, it's almost always translated righteousness? Well, my theory is that everybody who's translating the Bible is, do, is, is tra- translating that word based on context, And your context is subjective based on your experiences. English Bible translators are overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly male. And as a card-carrying member of that population, I can tell you that injustice is not something that we experience very often, at least not in comparison to women and people of color. I bet we would see a lot more justice in the New Testament and a lot less righteousness in replacement of that word if we had a more diverse population translating our Bible. More than one commentator to make this argument points out the fact that Dikaiosune is also used later on in the Beatitudes to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for their righteousness. And this one commentator, Dr. Wolterstorff, asked the question, have you ever heard anybody persecuted for doing the right thing? Very rarely do we hear of that. When all the time we hear about people being persecuted for pursuing justice in the face of injustice, In light of that context, it is likely that we can, at the very least, add the word justice to this beatitude. We can at least agree with Pastor Daniel Hill here when he says, right living 
will lead us to the pursuit of justice. The pursuit of justice demands righteous living. They are both reflective of the character of God, and they are both dependent on each other. Jesus has come to make us righteous before God, and Jesus has come to call us to right living. Jesus has come to satisfy the justice of God, and Jesus has come to call us to a just society. We can't have one without the other. What Jesus is saying here in this beatitude is blessed are those who are desperate to do the right thing and desperate to see justice for others. When we live rightly, we seek justice. When we seek justice, we live rightly. We could read this beatitude as blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for they will be filled. When we think about injustice, though, a lot of times we think about somebody wronging another person or withholding something that that other person has a right to or deserves. But in reality, there isn't always somebody to blame for injustice. Justice Injustice oftentimes presents itself as an imbalance when the scales are not balanced as they should be. The fallout of COVID-19 has an imbalanced effect on the citizens of our community. Our most vulnerable citizens experience discomfort and even danger at a rate unfamiliar familiar to those of us who experience privilege and stability. Let me give you an example. A couple of days ago, we got a lot of snow around here and it got pretty cold. Normally, this would have activated something called the Severe Weather Shelter Network, which is a group of churches and organizations that open up their building when the temperature is 32 or below and wet or 20 or below and dry. And normally, this literally saves lives for our homeless neighbors and parishioners. But because of the fallout of the coronavirus, we have, those organizations like the Severe Weather Shelter Network have, were not able to be open. And this put some of our neighbors at risk, their very lives at risk, in fact. This is an example of an imbalance in our society. It's an injustice, not because somebody's done something wrong. The government put some bans in place. Severe Weather Shelter Network obeyed those because they wanted to protect their guests. They wanted to protect, wanted to protect their uh, volunteers as well. But it didn't change the fact that it imbalanced the scales. It made something unjust or unjust when it should have been just or right or balanced. The Severe Weather Shelter Network responded to the imbalance and the injustice by passing out blankets and food and tarps and other camping gear to our homeless neighbors. This was a step towards justice, a step towards balance, even if they couldn't get all the way there. Sometimes the injustice that we're fighting against isn't the wrong of somebody to another, but rather an imbalance in our society. Jamar Tisby, an author and podcaster, says this about injustice. Being complicit only requires a muted response in the face of injustice or uncritical support of the status quo. We can be complicit in injustice and imbalance by simply saying nothing. There will always be a cost to the way that we pursue justice and the way that we pursue balance, the way that we pursue righteousness and crave it and desire for it. Eugene Cho says this about the cost of justice. We all love justice until there's a personal cost, and the truth is there is always a cost. Always there's a cost to pursuing justice. In this case, I do not think that we as a church community are called to go and risk infection or infecting others. I don't think that that's a good idea at all. But rather, in order to balance the scales, we have to be thinking creatively about how we can pursue and crave justice and righteousness in a time like this. Uh, For some of you, that means checking in on your neighbors with some sort of regularity. That may not seem costly to some people, but to other people, that's a tremendous amount of social capital that you feel like you're using in order to do that. 
For other people, it might be thinking about the way our economy here in Inglewood has been dramatically affected by the bans and restrictions as a result of the coronavirus. Thinking about the fact that a lot of businesses around here, a lot of restaurants are owned by our neighbors, and they they don't have months and months of rent or months and months of payroll saved up for a time like this. This came fast, and it came furious. We can balance the scales from patronizing those businesses and those restaurants. We can balance the scales by doing something to continue to invest in our city, to continue to care for this place. For some of you, you joined us for our first virtual Thankful Thursday on Thursday night. We gathered together to write thank you notes to simply encourage some of the people who are most affected by the bans and restrictions that are happening right now in our city. We have to continue to crave and pursue righteousness and justice in a time like this. To crave justice, especially in a time like we find ourselves in, is to pursue balance, to be thinking about ways where we can balance the scales, to be filled in a time like this, is to pursue and obtain right living, even though the world feels like it's pulling us in all the wrong directions. Staying grounded spiritually and relationally is so valuable and meaningful in this time, and my hope is that you'll continue to do that. My hope is that you will crave and desire righteousness and justice Jesus says that if you do, you are blessed and that you, in fact, will be filled. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to gather together, even though we're spread apart, to hear from your word and to consider what it means for our lives. We pray, God, that we would respectfully continue to pursue uh, relationship, uh, spiritual groundedness, and that you would continue to move in our community and in our midst with your spirit, even though we cannot be together. We love you, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.